Hello and welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast, brought to you by the SOAS Coding Club. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. This week, we welcome Zhang Lele to speak about navigating online and offline social activism in China. The media and information landscapes in China present unique challenges for social activism. Zhang Lele is a Chinese feminist activist whose strategic campaigns have affected profound change, but not without considerable difficulty and threat to her livelihood. Lele is the founder of Chinese group F Feminists in Guangzhou, and she is the principal organizer and participator of the Chinese Me Too movement. She conducted the offline campaign called Human Billboards, as well as a nationwide campaign to start mechanisms against sexual harassment in universities. She is also following up on several influential cases against discrimination of women in the workplace and is a facilitator of feminist awareness and training programs. While she studies Gender, Media and Culture, MA, at Goldsmiths University, she is also the coordinator of Vachina, a feminist group in London. Hi, Lele. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So just to start with, can you give us a background? about the gender landscape in China, maybe some of the issues that women are facing Mm -hmm. and how some of the gender roles are being portrayed in the society. It's a really big question. (laughs) And I think the most, it's, it's not important, but like really current issue of feminism in China I think it's similar for the rest of the world. It's like uh, domestic violence, sexual harassment and discrimination at workplace and uh, maybe education, like equality, gender equality. And if we go into detail, women basically, they go through gender discrimination every day. Like if you go to a school, they will tell you that you are, if you are a girl, you are more suitable for like really more literature major and if you're a boy you're more smart and you can do uh, science you can do math and also if you want to find a job after graduation you will find if you are a boy you are more likely to find a job uh, just because you are a man and if uh, you are a woman you have to prove that you are qualified for that job so that's a lot of um, difficulty a huge percent of women they went through the same stuff when they apply for a job and uh, more likely they are really difficult to like go up of the employment ladder and also uh, there are a lot of majors require more higher scores of uh, women than men so that if you work like same amount you can just go like not so good university as the boy next to you. How is feminism received in Chinese society? You started a lot of your activism when you were very young mm-hmm. how did you even know that there was such a thing as feminism mm-hmm. and how did you access those type of ideas i think feminism is still like really really stigmatized in china of course but like in the recent year more and more people know that because lots of uh, women and feminists they like stand up to speak about these issues and what i encountered is that i was a journalist in my university and i got an assignment to interview a particular group of feminist activists who are really really good friends of mine right now and i saw them doing an action 
is called smashing a vase, like a bottle, really big, big bottle with a standard for like perfect woman. There are a lot of competition that have standard for women. It's like beauty pageant and um, they show you like your distance of your two eyes should be and that's ridiculous. So I, I saw them like smashing the really big face front of my university and a lot of people were watching and I was so really shocked to see that. They are a group of people like really they're free to talk about anything and they don't mind like say, say things that uh, in Chinese society like normally don't say like a vagina, like um, have sex. We use this or that to refer to that. And they talk about sexual harassment and made me think about my life, what I uh, went through before I met them. So it's really like life-changing thing for me. That's really cool. And as you were saying that it was inspiring to you because of how they spoke about sex, how they spoke about gender and the terms that they used, what platforms were they using to speak about this? I think we just use every every way we can to make more people to see us talking about this issue. And so we use the performance art. We use that to catch like mainstream media's eyes so that they can report us. They can um, write some articles about us to make more people know. And also we use social media a lot, of course. It's in uh, 2012, so it's like a rising uh, face of uh, Chinese social media. So we use uh, Weibo, which is a Chinese version of Twitter, and uh, we use WeChat, which is like WhatsApp. Like a million times better. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, like so obsessed yeah. with it. <laughs> really? Yeah, I really want to like. I can't use. I can't use it that much because it's not that commonly used. Yeah, you know, yeah. outside of China. But yeah. I'm like, it's amazing. <laughs> but we use Weibo a lot because it's like a really public place that you can talk about issues. And if uh, mystery media they got censored, if they cannot report certain topic, we can just uh, post it in Moibo so that more people will watch it. But are women free to talk about sexual violence though, that they've experienced themselves? Technically they are free to talk about especially with uh, personal experience or something like that. But if the thing that they are talking about became uh, really influential, they have the risk that get censored, get deleted. And also the courage that they have to take for them to speak up is a lot. So they might get a lot of uh, critics of of their netizens and we don't have complete legal system to support us. So it's a little bit risky, but we can. Sexual harassment is not that mentionable in our law, but uh, last year, I think, uh, because of Me Too in China, there are new, like, new sentences, I don't know how to say, how to say that in legal term, added to the certain law. We can see changes happen in the past few years, but still, like, it's not that really huge changes. Just from reading about this topic, it seems that the state's response to feminist activists is very strong and it seems that they actually see feminism as a threat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which, you know, made me question why. Why do you think it's so threatening to them? I think it's a way of us organise people 
because of the risky elements here, we are not, we are still not to try to like make it underground or something. Mm. We still want to make it as public as possible. Mm. So we try to motivate more more people to join in this movement. We try to connect more people. We try to organize more people to do more things. So organization, that's a really like sensitive word to a Chinese government. And um, also I think sexual harassment, it's also about like a lot of powerful men. They use their power to like sexually harass a lot of women. And I believe that there are lots of uh, men in higher position. They are doing the exact thing that we are exposing, but they are not gonna change and they don't want to change. So they just use the typical Chinese government way to solve it, which is to solve the people who bring up the question. So could you just give us a sort of background on your work and Mm -hmm. the types of activism and projects that you've done Mm -hmm. and what led you to them, to doing that? I used to work in a famous NGO in China and my main project is uh, about anti-sexual harassment. And uh, we started out uh, in public space because there weren't any message about anti-sexual harassment in the whole public space mm-hmm. ever. And we actually did a lot of um, like lobbying to the government, want them to change something and also a lot of actions about that. But it's a slow progress. So we started to think we should take the initiative to do more. So we started a crowdfunding project, which is really popular back then. So we raised about 40,000 yuan, which is maybe 4,000 pounds. And what year was that? In 2016, Mm -hmm. yeah. We wanted to buy an advertisement about anti-sexual harassment in Guangzhou Metro. So we raised that, which took us about uh, one and a half months, which is really quick. Yeah, and it really surprised us that how many people want to do do that. There are a lot of uh, students and they just save up their really like little amount of money to give it to us. We, we thought like the money part is the biggest problem until I started to follow up with the advertisement company with the metro like department like who, who censored all that thing and it took me a year to follow up and they just told me they cannot let us to do that advertisement. They first told us that our image they will like was like citizens anxiety panic like people would, would be panicking what was the what was the image it's like a black hand who wants to grab uh, a woman and there's another hand like just grab back because um it's a like resistance symbol but i don't know they just think that Guangzhou citizens are so fragile or something <laughs> And um, later they just told us uh, there cannot be any body parts appeared in advertisement, which is really strange because there are a lot of body parts in plastic surgery advertisements in China all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's just so sh- it's such a like excuse for us. But finally, they told us that if you are a person, like individual, if or if you are a grassroots group, you don't have the rights to publish advertisement about public interest. It's really ironic 
because the government only has the right to to do the thing with public interest, but the public can. But we cannot fund a government department to endorse us, so we just have to give up. That's when we started my human billboard campaign, because the only thing that we left is that four thousand pounds, which we cannot spend, but we have our bodies. So I use my body as media, and I just carry my billboard with me everywhere I go. Yeah, I also called for like uh, over a hundred people joined me in different city in, in China and they also did that. They also did a lot of um, public speech and talked to bus drivers, uh, talked to metro staff about sexual harassment and talked to the passengers about uh, this and like get a lot of signatures about this. So yeah, it's really good to see a lot of people want to go to the street and do something. Amazing. Yeah. And what was the sort of response that you felt, apart from those that decided to join you, from other citizens? And mm-hmm. maybe even did the state respond to you in any way? Most of the time when I go out, uh, a lot of people just like peek at my billboard and say nothing. Some people, they took picture of me, but I don't know if they are positive or negative of my action. And the state, they show that. Uh, I, w- I wanted to do that for a whole month because that's what we planned when we want to buy the billboard. But halfway uh, during of this action, uh, the police knocked on my door and said uh, we should talk about this. So they took me to the little booth, like little building, yeah. uh, like beside the street. And uh, they just told me that I should stop my action. I, I should move out of Guangzhou. And they say you can move like little city, which is basically Guangzhou's area, uh, Foshan, but you cannot live in Guangzhou. You can do your thing in Foshan, but <laughs> you, you cannot make trouble like under my supervision or something. So like later that year, we just constantly get kicked out in Guangzhou in different apartments. Were you able to somehow carry on the work or carry on the message online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We basically, we posted every every time when the police talked to me. So I wrote a, a, an article basically said, uh, I, I myself, I was stopped by action, but it does not mean everybody else should. And so a lot of more people, not, not more, but some people, they did action, they carried the billboard after me, after I posted. And also, we also posted the whole conversation of us uh, talking to the police, which is really fun. And nobody else, I think, nobody else did that before, which is really detailed. And they are really cunning, really, like, gross. <laughs> yeah. Where did you post this on? In WeChat, in Weibo. And it didn't get deleted? Of course it got deleted. (laughs) (laughs) But we managed to like get a few thousand reposts. So also people also saw that. So we just like tried to catch up the time before deleting. Yeah, that's all we can do. Talk to me about your work in the universities. Oh, okay. So it's, it's last year. So the first day of uh, 2018, uh, a girl called Ruxi Xi, she posted about her 
experience of being sexually harassed by her professor about 12 years ago. And during this time, professor basically harassed a lot of, uh, even raped a lot of girls, a lot of uh, his students. So uh, she used her real name to put that. And it was a lot of uh, attention. And she is the type of girl that not only focus on her own particular individual case, she realized that it's a institutionalized thing about sexual harassment. So she wanted her university to start an anti-sexual harassment mechanism in her university. And we thought we should join her. And we wanted to do this for a really long time. So I gathered a few of my friends. We want to write our own universities. But it became really big. After a few days, a lot of universities joined. A lot of uh, students, a lot of people, they just joined and wrote a letter to their principals of their university and started of, of this petition. So we got over 70 universities joined and also maybe 9,000 people joined in the petition and they used their real name, which is really risky. So yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. But uh, was this an online petition? Yeah. Basically, we use WeChat. WeChat is like one person to the semi-private friend circle, but you can just influence one another through that. Because on WeChat, you can't have more than 500 people, is it, in a group? Yeah, but everybody can have 5,000 friends in their friend list. And they can post it in moment, which is like Facebook. Yeah. yeah. So his or she's or their friends t- can see that and they can join. And we have this uh, example of uh, letters that we should write. And if you have questions, you can ask me. We have a group of uh, main like organizers of that petition. That's amazing. I think it's so cool. How many days was this happening over? About two weeks, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's just like, that's really quick, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I guess yeah. that's also the power of, I mean, yeah, of course, the internet. But mm-hmm. was that also deleted? Was it kept online? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> every every petition got deleted one time or more. And we just used all this uh, creative way to publicize First, we used uh, like WeChat article, which is basically a Facebook article. And later, we replaced the picture of an article to prevent deleting. We might like put the picture upside down so that they cannot de- detect that. And also, we use questionnaire chat, the link. We just use that link. And also, we use picture to post it on our moment. And yeah, just a lot of ways to do that. Just try to get to more people. And it's quite interesting that you say that people used their real names Mm -hmm. and also the girl who initiated it. Sorry, can you tell me her name again? Lo Shishi. Lo Shishi. Mm -hmm. She posted this online against her own name, you know. Mm -hmm. Is the fact that people are posting on the internet giving people a bit more bravery or a bit more of a platform for standing up in a way rather than like an offline way what do you think or is it just Mm -hmm. that the issue is so important that it doesn't matter i think social media is like for now is the it's almost the only way that we can 
talk about this. It's really difficult to organize offline. Lots of people, they are not in the same cities and they are students, they don't have money to do that. And we cannot protest, we cannot. So uh, online is like, although it, it's a lot of censorship, but still we can catch some time to make it to spread to more people. I thought it was quite interesting when you had the panel talk here at SOAS and your partner was speaking about how the internet has allowed for different groups to come up in different areas around China, like as you're saying, like the different students at different universities. Mm -hmm. But she also did question how they can be a unified maybe message or a unified movement mm -hmm. when you do have this sort of granular or networked mm -hmm. um, activism. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Hmm. I think, yeah, social media like provide anybody a chance to to do the organizing. So basically, what I did, uh, what I did in the university position campaign is that a lot of schools they have their own little organization and they're still doing things right now. They are the main force to follow up the major cases in university or that professors or they connected the mainstream media they posted a lot of articles about this and they talked to the schools i don't know how to put that but it's like one people stand up and a lot of people followed and you can see all these women stood up to say they're experienced and they can join in a not in a physical way but in a spiritual way and so that a lot of people they have more courage to join or to be the supporter or to be the speaker of this issue and yeah I think social media is kind of have this function of that organizing and I think one thing with social media and just also the internet is that you get some international not recognition but there's no borders you know there's no limits to where the messages can go basically you know and I think that's been very important right yeah, in yeah. your work and in generally with Chinese well not Chinese feminism because there's a long history but let's say just these recent movements groups and mm -hmm. activism and that internationalization of the Chinese feminist movement mm -hmm. has not only brought global recognition to the cause but has put pressure on the state to be much more careful with how they mm -hmm. deal with feminist activists like the example of the feminist five the hashtag free the five went global mm -hmm. and their story went global at the end they were in prison for more than 30 days weren't they yeah but the state had to release them after that global pressure and the world was watching yeah mm -hmm. and I know one of the group's feminist voices, I was just reading about her and her work and that she said that she felt that now that she's based in New York, mm -hmm. that, you know, she'll continue the work there mm -hmm. and also hopefully she feels that she can do more. But are there opportunities for Chinese diaspora mm -hmm. movements and then local Chinese movements mm -hmm. to link? Yeah. 
So Feminist Voices is a really close friends of it's an organization, but I think the person you talk about is our really good friend. Yeah, she's the founder of the Feminist Voices, Lu Ping. I think uh, that reminds me of what I I am doing right now in for China, which is a feminist group here. So we did a lot of plays and screening workshops about Chinese feminism. And I think we used the script from China. Lots of feminist activists, they wrote this script in 2012, and we used that to perform. And we also want to like add more experience uh, from students, students studying here, their experience, maybe about sexual harassment, because that, and about racism, that's a lot. Chinese students specifically? Yeah, yeah. Because I think like the Asian group in Western countries are not that visible. So we want to do more and we want to share more information about what's going on in China. I think that's uh, important work too. If we talk about the Me Too movement, and I guess, let's say it started in America, it's mm-hmm. an American movement mm-hmm. that has obviously then spread you know, across the world with yeah. other women speaking about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the specific nature of the Me Too movement in mm-hmm. China? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one of the interesting things about a global movement like that. Mm-hmm. It becomes localized and mm-hmm. you can almost compare and see that there's similarities but also yeah. very unique differences in different places. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? I think for Chinese Me Too movement, it took a lot of uh, like stepping stone process before the Me Too movement. It took a lot of work and a lot of women who stood up to talk about their experience and they have really big price to pay to do that. But of all this work, more and more people realize that the sexual harassment is a really big issue and we should stand against it. That's a lot of before work so that it can lead to this breakout point in China. Yeah. And also, I think maybe Hollywood has some influence in a lot of, especially young people in China, because they like celebrities like anybody else. Yeah, so maybe they got influenced by their own idols or something. And also, I think because in China, we don't have the mechanism or regulation or laws to protect us. So it seems that it's the only way that we can speak up, but it's more risky to speak up, to share your experience than in maybe Western countries. But the similarities also is that even if uh, Western countries, they have a lot of mechanisms, it's still not working that good. So people have to speak. People have to use social media to share their experience to get of this powerful man punished. So that's like the similarity that we share. And you were one of the pioneering activists when it came to the Me Too movement in China. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Not maybe. <laughs> so what, can you just tell us about what you did exactly mm-hmm. and, you know, what drove you to doing that? I did in the first phase, the university phase, then the university 
obviously go to NGO, media, entertainment, like all that area, like just break out. And so I did a lot of like phase one or phase two organization of uh, Me Too movement. And when we went to the phase three, like the breaking out phase, I think in that movement, everybody is a leader, but none of us is really a leader. It's a decentralized movement. A lot of attention around the women who speak up about their really influential cases. And so a lot of women, they came to us and talk about their experience. And we just thought out if we like want to make her story to the public and just support job. And also out of advocacy to the government, we write to the education department in China to see if they are doing all this work right now. And also, we gave a lot of legal assistance to the people who want to find help. Well, one cute thing about it is, you know, the rice bunny. Oh yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's really like that's really smart. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really clever. Yeah, I mean, uh, for our listeners, can you describe what the rice bunny means? So after Me Too in Weibo get censored, we cannot use Me Too anymore. So we use uh, rice bunny, which in Chinese it sounds like Me Too. It's Me Too, which basically the same so we use uh, a little emoji or use the Chinese characters to use the hashtag to to spread and later me too got censored so we use dialect oh so the yeah. rice bunny also got censored yeah I thought so <laughs> when I was reading about it I was uh-huh. just like well if this is in the press and if it's being written about <laughs> surely it's going to get censored soon yeah 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 but in general it's the cases that got more influence not the hashtag so that's okay we use dialects that's really smart too it's different dialect from all different regions all different cities basically it's like use Italian language or use French language or English or like very nice yeah so I just wanted to touch on how do you manage to keep going and keep being vocal mm-hmm. without offending the government too much because you have to be quite strategic right yeah that's a really difficult thing yeah. right now yeah well we we tried a lot of way like we try to talk to the government all the time even now we try to negotiate with them we try to persuade them to do something but the progress still like really long and also we maybe we are used like really secure communications way to talk to each other about really important message to like avoid surveillance but it's still very difficult because we don't know where the bottom line is and it seems that the bottom line it just became like lower and lower just began to touch everybody in China right now but we are still exploring so that we can do more things do some of the activist movements ever think of maybe creating their own platforms does the dark web exist in China? I think so, but I don't think my friends and me are like really get to know that like technical stuff. We are not very technical. Maybe we should learn that. But we have to still to connect to the public. We have to get to more women to know, to know that. So we cannot go underground. Yeah, that's a really important point for yeah. sure. Yeah. Can you tell me about the recent events 
the labor activist who was arrested. Uh, so his name is Wei Zhili. He is a really long-term, also very young labor activist. He's also the, the husband of one of the Feminist Five. So we uh, did a lot of sporting work. The class issue is, is really important to us too, so mm. we uh, take a part of all this. But why was he arrested exactly? So there are this social media account called iLabor and they post a lot of articles about workers, factory workers in, in China, in Shenzhen mm-hmm. especially, yeah. And so they helped workers with certain disease with their lung. So the workers, they basically, they went to Shenzhen to find a job and work in the factory and they got this disease. And it's really expensive, but the factory and the government didn't give any conversation about that. So they just tried to like, protect their rights to talk to the factory, talk to the government. And the really sad part is a lot of workers are dying right now. Maybe they just try to leave more money to their family or, or have more money to cure their disease. But it's not so hopeful. And Wedgley and his colleagues, they help a lot with this issue. And that's why they get arrested. Yeah. And so you've been sharing some articles about this, but on another platform, on GitHub? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think GitHub is our main way to share our article right now. We also post it in WeChat and Weibo, and we got lots of attention in Weibo, but they got deleted pretty fast, and also WeChat. So GitHub is our main way to do that. And I think you can access through Safari or something, yeah. yeah. And also you can access through WeChat, but that might be get blocked for a few days or something. But it's still not so blocked uh, mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the other methods. Mm-hmm. So you can keep the information, keep the data, so you can see how many people can read that. Yeah, on GitHub you can see how many people have accessed it and stuff. Yeah. In enjoy industry or in the whole social movement or activist circle, we share each other like all this uh, information. Personally, I didn't know anything about GitHub, but if I wrote an article, I can give it to my friend and she can post it for me. And how would you share that information? You said that in the activist networks, you'll be sharing information. Or do you just mean on Weibo and WeChat? It's like I wrote an article and I use a really secure email or communication app to send the article to him or her or them and they will just edit it for us mm-hmm. and they post it on the social media and we can use the link to share that. And you're able to do all of this in China? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can access GitHub in China as well? Yeah, yeah. They haven't managed to <laughs> block it yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And do you ever use protected browsers? I mean, I use Google Chrome. Okay. Uh, I use the dark version. It's like the black version. You cannot leave any trace. It's secure. It's not that secure. Yeah, 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 And yeah. I use more secure email and more secure communicative app, like Signal or something. Yeah. Yeah. But is Google Chrome accessible in China? We use VPN. So I guess you're always just trying to figure out like new platforms, new yeah. ways. We actually change a lot of uh, 
communicative app. First, we used maybe WhatsApp, yeah. and we changed it to Telegram, and uh, Telegram was blocked. So we used Wire and uh, Signal, and it changed Always all the time. changing. Yeah. But do you think that that sometimes can affect how many people will join the movement and continue within the movement? Because people might just get tired, you know what I mean? Like, tired of using VPNs, tired of changing all the time. And it's not just people getting tired of trying to find strategies of how to work. Mm -hmm. You know, there's many reports of various bloggers and people who talk about social issues in China giving up the work that they did Mm -hmm. because of state pressures, censorship. Perhaps they felt defeated. Yeah. The platforms of feminist voices, for example, mm-hmm. on Weibo and WeChat, they were closed down, weren't they? Yeah. The Secura app that we use, it's mainly for us, the organizer yeah. of this uh, little circle. It's just a habit of us to change it all the time. But if we want to like mobilize more people, we have to use WeChat. Yeah. Because everybody uses WeChat. We, yeah. we don't have a- yeah. any choice. But maybe like sharing GitHub uh, is not blocking right now, so we can use that. Yeah. We are just like find new way to communicate more people in WeChat. Yeah. We can form a group. I form several groups so that at least a few hundred people would know certain things is happening right now. Your offline work is obviously also very, very important that things are not just in the virtual world Mm -hmm. or on online platforms. Mm -hmm. Like, people still need to engage in the public sphere. You know, it's very, very important. Mm -hmm. And maybe not even on a large scale, like big protests, all Mm -hmm. the sort of little events and little happenings Mm -hmm. are very powerful. Mm -hmm. So that's why your work also interests me so much because I really do think that online offline strategies in tandem very very important well maybe just for last question what do you see as the next steps are you continuing with some of your current projects to Mm -hmm. carry them on Mm -hmm. i think sexual harassment is still really really unsolved in china right now so yeah maybe when i go back to china i will still do some actions about that and also about workplace discrimination that's the, my two main focus right now. I also want to do more organizing, like feminist community job, because it's like uh, you have to restrain the power so that you can strike back in time. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights. And thank you. <laughs> I think the work that you do is amazing and very brave, really. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, good luck with it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And for our listeners to discover more about this topic, you can access the following resources available in the show notes on our website. Discover the group Vachina on their Facebook page at Vachina. And Zhang Leilei took part in a WANEL, which is a women's panel, hosted by New Voices at SOAS in April. Watch the conversation and read more about it on the New Voices website under the article Over 80 attend New Voices London launch WANEL, Being Feminist in China, Gender Issues Across Generations. And discover more about 
about New Voices, the international editorial collective gathering veteran and emerging writers, journalists, translators and artists to celebrate and support the diverse creative work of self-identified women who are working on the subject of China. Read more about Zhang Lele's Human Billboard campaign in the BBC article A Weirdo Woman's Anti-Harassment Mission and the article Feminist Activist Ignores Police Advice to Leave the City on the Sixth Tone website gives information on the backlash from the state that Zhang Lele experienced in response to her human billboards campaign. The Los Angeles Times article, How China's Feminists Launched Me Too in a Country Where Protest is Barely Possible, explores the urgent need for changes to how sexual abuse is perceived in China. Read more about how feminist activism is shifting mindsets in China but also attracting backlash in the foreign policy article, China's Me Too activists have transformed a generation. Amnesty International News provides information on the Me Too movement in China in the article, Will China Have Its Me Too Moment? And the article on the Conversation website, from hashtag Me Too to hashtag Rice Bunny, how social media users are campaigning in China, describes strategies by feminist activists to circumvent online censorship in China. Another article on Sixth Tone, How to Be More Than a Token Woman in Chinese Politics, explores female representation in the Chinese government and what the future holds for future generations. Learn more about the Feminist Five in the Dissent article, China's Feminist Five, and read the Guardian article, China's women's movement has not only survived an intense crackdown, it's grown. This covers the Chinese state's clampdown on the feminist movement in China. In 2014, activist Xiao Mei Li started her six-month-long walk from Beijing to Guangzhou to protest against how China handled sexual abuse. Read her Time magazine feature, In China, A Young Feminist Battles Sexual Violence Step by Step. You can find us online at www.soascodingclub.com, follow us on Facebook at SOAS Coding Club and on Twitter at SOAS Coding Club. We broadcast every two weeks, so tune in to discover what's to come in your global digital futures. (laughs) 